Hopefully you can continue these great conversations uh, after the service. It's a great opportunity to encourage one another um, just being together. Well, it's hard to believe, but this morning we're finishing our time in the letter of 1 Peter. We started back October 9th, and we're finishing this, this letter. And then we're going to be going to 2 Peter uh, starting next week. And you know, when you get to the end of something, a lot of times you leave some of the most important things for last. And Peter, writing, wants to kind of hit again what's so important to him in this letter... And that's that we would stand firm in God's grace. He's been telling us about God's grace to us and caused us to stand firm, to live in and out of it. In fact, Peter actually tells us very specifically why he wrote in verse 12 of chapter 5. He says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So Peter says, I want you to know again about the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And I think the reason why Peter is so burdened to do this is because Peter knows what it is to not stand firm. To fall flat on his face in living for God. Just hours before Jesus would would go to the cross, which we remembered last week and celebrated, Jesus said these words to Peter in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Peter was also known as Simon. He says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. That's what Peter did, right? Before he ever had the chance to go to prison or to death, when he just had a couple of people around a campfire ask him, aren't you that guy with Jesus? He fell flat on his face. He denied him. And that's not where the story ends for Peter, right? Because Jesus would die on that cross for the very sins of his disciple who betrayed him and denied him. And then he would rise again and meet Peter on a beach and give Peter, for his three denials, three opportunities to turn around his life. And he gave Peter a mission, right? Feed my sheep. You've stumbled But I've prayed for you, Peter, and you haven't totally fallen. I've restored you, and now go and strengthen your brothers. So you can see why Peter, who knows what it is to fall flat on his face, who knows what it is to receive God's grace, to stand again, he says, I want to write to you and remind you of the grace of God so you can stand in it. And that was important for his readers facing persecution and being pushed to the margins. But I think it's important for us too this morning, right? Because maybe you're like me, where even this weekend, I felt like I didn't do a good job of standing firm and living for God. Even preparing the sermon, right? Giving into temptation towards anger. And maybe this morning you come in and you don't feel strong, you feel weak. There's good news for us this morning. God wants to strengthen us in his grace this morning. Because whether you know it or not, whether you're thinking of it or not, 
We are in a spiritual war, says Peter. And even if you're never asked to deny Jesus or die, you have opportunities, right, in work or at school to answer what the Christian worldview thinks about blank issue, and you can choose to give an answer that will win you approval, or you can choose to give an answer that's truthful. Or maybe it's not that, but maybe there's all these myriad examples of opportunities where you're in a situation and sin is tempting, and it's just so much easier to give in. And so Peter says, look, we're in a war. And if you are going to stand firm in the winds of war, you have to be like a tree rooted deep. You have shallow roots, you won't make it. You need to be rooted deep in God's grace so that you can stand firm in the spiritual battle. And so Peter this morning is going to give us three keys to help us stand firm in the battle. So let me pray that God will help us. And then we'll read 1 Peter 5, 8 to 11. So let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning because we are in need. And far from that meaning that we're cast out, you love it when we come to you in need. And you love to meet us in our need and to strengthen us. Father, the the power this morning is not in ourselves. It's in you. It's in your word. And so would you meet us this morning? Would you strengthen us by your grace? Amen. Let me read 1 Peter 5, 8 to 11. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, the first key to standing firm is by being alert to the spiritual battle. I don't know where where you were, but I remember exactly where I was on a day when everything changed. It started out like a normal day, going to high school jazz band practice, going about the day. But I can remember, and I can still picture everything about the details of exactly where I was when I saw the television footage of the Twin Towers. I'm sure you can too, right? You can can remember that. It was was huge. And you see those planes go in, and the towers fall, and just like that, what was an average, normal day changed everything. Before that, we were at peace, and after that, it was war. Now, I'm from Canada, and so I used to travel to the U.S. a lot for music festivals, and it was easy to cross the border. Just, Just need a birth certificate. Now... Everything has changed, right? You need a passport. There's more airport security. There's tighter restrictions on student visas because we went from peace to war. Everything changed with that reality. And Peter wants us to realize we are at war. Verse 8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You've got an enemy who's out to destroy and hurt, to terrorize. He'll do anything it takes. 
And he uses this image of a lion, and, and it's a vivid image, right? Because you can all picture a lion. I was just at the Madison Zoo about a week ago, and uh, we could hear the lion roaring from the parking lot, actually, when we arrived, right? It's loud. Um, at first, I thought it was, like, magnified through speakers, but it's not. It's really that loud, right? And these lions are huge. And I'm really glad it's behind the fence, because I don't know what it would do if it got out, but I don't want to find out, Right? It's huge. And, and Peter says, look, your enemy is like that. He's like that huge lion. He's fierce. He's strong. And he's trying to put fear. He wants to destroy. He wants to do everything he can to ruin all that is good. God's. Revelation tells us that he knows his time is short. He knows he can't win the whole war. So he just wants to do everything he can to destroy He wants to ruin marriages. He wants to break apart families. He wants to ruin your witness at work. He wants to enslave you to sin so you feel like you can't ever serve God or be on mission because you're enslaved in patterns of sin. He wants to destroy. And I think the closest picture that I've ever seen of what the devil's like in in literature or fiction is from the movie The Dark Knight with the Joker. If you've watched that movie, you know like, there's just like this pure evil of him. And Alfred the butler sums it up so well when he says to Batman, some men don't want power, they don't want money, they just want to see the world burn. That's the devil. Out to destroy everything. And not just to destroy, but just like the Joker, he wants to turn and twist everything to evil. He wants to turn all of Gotham City, the Joker, to join him in his games. And even though he's not able to turn Batman, by putting a little bit of suffering in Harvey Dent, the district attorney's life, he turns him into the villain Two-Face. That's what the devil wants to do. To destroy. To twist everything to evil. Now maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, wait, we're talking about fighting the devil? Like, I'm still new to this, or maybe I've still got questions, but aren't we in, like, the scientific age, like, devils? That sounds like medieval period, you know what I mean? Like, the dark ages when people didn't know anything. Well, that's the devil's first strategy, to get you to not even think he's around. But if you have that skepticism this morning, can I invite you just for a moment to consider this? Consider what you know of the Holocaust, the evils that are perpetrated there. And how deep down inside there's a party that goes, that was inhuman what was done. And if you feel that, you actually have the right instinct. It was inhuman. There is evil that goes on in the world that is too evil, too great, too twisted to just be explained by people who have gone bad. There's an enemy who wants to destroy and devour the devil, Satan. And he will do anything. And if, if just for a moment you're willing to accept that maybe that's true, then all of a sudden the words of Peter make a lot of sense in verse 8, right? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because if war is real, then you need to be sober. You need to be watchful. You're going to act differently, right? If if war is really, then you, you need to be sober. There's a reality you need to be aware of. And that's how Peter also uses this word sober-minded in chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. So he's saying that there's a reality 
that you need to be sober about. In chapter 4, it's the end of all things. In chapter 5, it's that there's an enemy, there's a war going on, is out to get you. You've got to be sober about this. It's going to change how you live. I'm guessing when you're on vacation, maybe you're at the beach, maybe you're reading a good book, that's what I like to do on the beach, read a nice book, you're not like worried about someone like coming out to get you, right? You're just relaxed because you're on vacation, it's peace. But if there was a war going on in that beach, you wouldn't kind of stroll down and set up your little chair and pull out a book and, and read, right? There's a war going on. You're going to be on alert. You're going to be on guard. You're trying to learn what the enemy is doing. You're training yourself to handle the enemy. Your, your whole life lives differently. So let me ask you this morning, are you alert to the reality of spiritual warfare? Is that a category in your mind? The thing is, we can definitely overplay the reality of spiritual war, right? It's like, you get a flat tire, that's the devil. Red light, that's the devil, right? Like, there he is behind the bush, watch out, right? You can overplay it, okay? I, I admit that. But, let's pause here for a moment. I don't think most of us in North America are in danger of overplaying the devil. We underplay him all the time. What if actually when you're in a relational conflict and there's that desire to say that hurtful thing, what if it's not just your selfishness, but there's also an enemy who's like, that's right, you tell him, you get him, because he wants to destroy. Are you alert to those things? Are you watchful so that you know, wait a minute, in these kinds of situations, I'm going to be tempted this way. So as I approach that situation, I'm going to be on alert. I'm going to be asking God, help me not to sin, because I know in these kinds of situations, this is where I get shot at, right? You're not going to go into the narrow valley with cliffs on both sides, because that's where you get ambushed. Are you on alert in your life for spiritual attack? If you're not, how can we grow in being alert? Well, I think the biblical tool we pick up to help us be alert is prayer. And I think Peter learned this from Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 38 with me for a minute. Again, this is in the garden before Jesus was going to die. And he says to his disciples, in verse 38, watch, that same word for watch, right? Be alert, watch. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you don't want to fall in temptation, if you want to be able to stand firm, watch and pray. And even the command to be sober Peter used that right in chapter 4, verse 7. Let's take a look at that again. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So both being watchful and sober-minded are connected to prayer. Because if you're sober to the fact that there's a war going on, and there's an enemy, and also what we heard two weeks ago, that there's a God who loves you, and he wants you to cast your cares on him, then what you do is you pray. You pray for backup. You pray for help, right? But the devil doesn't want us to be sober. He doesn't want us to be watchful. He wants us to be the opposite of that. He wants us to be mentally lazy, to be asleep. He wants us to be like the soldiers at Fort Mackinac in the War of 1812. When the war started... Uh, they didn't get the news, actually, from the U.S. Congress that they were now at war. But the British troops across the lake did get the news. And so they went over and took over the fort 
piece of cake because the soldiers didn't know they were at war. They weren't ready for an attack. And that's how the devil wants us. He wants us to think that we're on vacation and then he rolls the tanks across the borders of our life to take us out. He doesn't want us to be alert. Maybe, like me, you sometimes struggle with always being in prayer. And as I've been thinking about this, I've been realizing maybe part of the reason why I don't pray a lot is because I forget that I'm in a spiritual war. That maybe my very lack of prayerlessness is an indication that I'm not alert to the battle. Because if I'm in a battle and I'm being gunned at and I've got a radio to call in reinforcements, I'm calling in reinforcements, right? And that's what prayer is. Prayer is the radio, the walkie-talkie to call in reinforcements from God for help. So are you using it? So this morning, the first question maybe is, are you alert to the battle? Are you being watchful? Are you being sober-minded? And is that revealing itself in a life of prayer? Because we know the God who has defeated the enemy. So he's worth calling on. But we don't just need to stand firm by being alert to the spiritual battle. But second, we need to stand firm by joining in the spiritual battle with others. Because if you think about it, um, in the War of 1812, I'm a big history buff, so you're going to hear a couple of history illustrations today. But in the War of 1812, there was another battle that happened a little later, the fort, Battle of the Fort of Detroit, okay? Detroit was a key fort, right? And General Hall, the American general there, had superior forces, and he was up against General Brock and Tecumseh, the Native American leader, very famous leader. And Brock and Tecumseh knew they had less forces, so they did a couple things. One of the first things they did is they marched their forces in view of the fort, then had them cut back through the forest, circle back around, and march again to make it seem like their army was bigger. They also lit like a fire for every soldier instead of a fire for every group of soldiers, again, to make it seem like they had more men. And then General Brock had heard that General Hull was really nervous about what might happen if Native Americans joined the battle. So he wrote him this letter and said, you know, we're gentlemen, we make sure we fight fair, but... Once the battle starts, you never know what could happen. So maybe you should just surrender. And after only one barrage of artillery, General Hull surrendered. He was alert. He knew there was a battle going on. He wasn't asleep of that, but he didn't stand firm. He didn't resist. He allowed fear to lead him to surrender. And so Peter says, look, we can't just be sober to it, but verse 9, we actually need to resist him, the devil. We need to resist and I was, as I was thinking, studying this passage, it hit me that this word resist doesn't really show up in 1 Peter. The word that shows up a lot in 1 Peter is the opposite word, submit, right? We saw that so many times. How do you deal with government? Submit. How do you deal with conflict and marriage? Submit. How do you deal with workplace challenges? Submit. That's the power of the gospel, a, a humbleness to submit. But here, Peter says, no, you don't submit, you resist, And for a culture that loves resistance, maybe this is a good reminder that Peter says, this is the real enemy worth fighting. All the others aren't enemies, even if they're opposing you. They're not the real enemy. This is the enemy we fight against. This is who we resist. Resist. And how do we resist? He says in verse 9, firm in your I love this. We, we're not tasked with going off and winning the war against the enemy. God's already done that. 
That's good news, okay? Our job is to stand firm in our faith. We stand and we resist by trusting God, by trusting and obeying, by not getting pushed off course with where God wants us to plant our feet and be and what he wants us to do. We stand firm in our faith. And Peter was writing this letter, right, to churches in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. There's all these provinces that are mentioned, chapter 1, verse 1. And one of those provinces is Asia. And in that province of Asia at that time, there was a small church in the town of Smyrna that probably read this letter. And 30 years later, Jesus would write them a letter personally through the Apostle John that we read of in Revelation 2.10. So imagine, they've read Peter's letter, maybe they've been meditating on it for 30 years, and then they get this word now. But 30 years later, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Do you see those themes popping again? Their job isn't to resist the authorities. Their job is to be faithful. Just be faithful. Don't stop believing and following Jesus. Just hold on. Be faithful. And the opposite of that is fear. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. And it's easy for us when we think about resisting and standing firm to think of these big cases like going to jail or or facing life and death situations. But I think the devil sometimes tackles us in big ways and sometimes he likes to fight us with a thousand small skirmishes. A thousand little ways to knock us off course. To tempt us that living for self is better than serving someone else. To tempt us towards anger instead of patience in moments of conflict. To tempt us to love money more than being generous. There's all these little ways he just wants to knock us off course and hinder us and detract and destroy the work that God would do. So Peter says, you've got to resist them. But as you join this battle, here's some encouragement. Verse 9 again. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not in it alone. There are lots of other Christians, lots of other small little churches all over the world, says Peter, that are in the same fight. Be encouraged. You got Hebrews 11, the whole hall of faith of people that stood firm. And some of them were delivered when they stood firm. And some of them died when they stood firm. But all of them looked ahead to the reward that was to come. We don't even just think about the past. We can think about today. We can read stories of Christians in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, North Africa, who are suffering for their faith and standing firm. And we're meant to be encouraged by that to join in the fight because we know we're not alone. There are others that are with us in this. And there's encouragement that comes from that, right? When you see others in the fight. It's like, I love the story of the 300 Spartans that resisted at the Battle of Thermopylae, the the army of a million Persians coming in. Historians probably say the numbers were a little bit lower, but still, they were vastly outnumbered. And they held on for three days. Every one of them died. They fell to the last man. They lost that battle, but their courage 
emboldened the rest of the Greeks and bought them the time to then defeat and push out the invading Persian army. See, when one person stands, the spines of many others are stiffened. It's a quote from Billy Graham, and I love that one. When one person stands, the spines of many others are stiffened. So Peter wants us to know, as you're joining this fight, you're not alone. And in verse 13, he even sends greetings to the church. Right? He says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen. He's talking about the church here. The church in Babylon sends you greetings. And I love that because it's not, it's not actually the city of Babylon. It wasn't really an important city at this point. But Babylon was like code name for capital of the empire set up against God. And we know from other historical sources, Peter was in Rome, which was the Babylon of its day. And he's saying, look, the church in Rome, we send you greetings. We're in this fight too with you. You're not alone. And I don't know exactly, we don't know exactly when this letter was written, but it was, if it wasn't during, it was pretty close to the time period when Nero would start persecuting this Roman church. He would throw them to the lions. He would crucify them. He would light them on fire. And yet they stood Peter's saying, you're not alone. The church in Rome is with you too. And this is why community is such a big value for us at the Vine. Because you can't join the fight by yourself. You're not sufficient. That's why we have city groups that meet weekly. So we, and we have membership to say we're together as a church because we're going to band together in the fight. So we can be encouraged we need each other. We weren't meant to fight alone. So let me ask you this morning, where are you feeling the heat and the call to resist the enemy in your life? And are you engaging in that fight with others around you? Have you brought others in with you to say, I need you and you probably need me that we need each other in this fight. Do you have that in your life this morning? Because if we're going to stand firm, we don't just need to be alert to the battle, but we also need to join with others in this battle. But now Peter's going to give us also a third key. He says we can stand firm by trusting God who will win the battle. Because even together, we are insufficient. Right? If, if we, this was just a bunch of people gathering together and God is not at work amongst us, we're still toast. We need something more than just the help of people. We need a stronger power, a power that guarantees victory in the end. Because it's hard to stand firm in the midst of war. I mean, just imagine this scenario with me, that you are in charge of a a group of soldiers, and you're holding out this little outpost, and you have vastly superior forces against you. And in one scenario, you get a message from headquarters, and the supreme commander says, I am coming tomorrow at dawn with overwhelming reinforcements. Just hold on. Versus imagine the same scenario. You're there, but there's no reinforcements coming. Which one's going to be easier to stand firm in? Or imagine with me that you're running, and you've been running for 25 miles, 
and you see the, that there's only one mile left in the race and you're in the lead and all you got to do is push for one more mile and you win versus a scenario where you've been running 25 miles and your running coach comes up to you and says, great job, you have to keep running until you drop and there's no victory. I don't know about you, I'm not even going to run like five more feet in that scenario. I, first of all, I'm not going to run the 25 miles, but right there's, there's, there's something about knowing the end is almost there. And that victory is assured that gives you that little bit of boost to keep going, to keep standing firm. Because Peter has used the phrase sober-minded one other time in this letter. It's chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, what's the reality you're to think about? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't just be sober-minded about the fact that we're in a war. Be sober-minded to the fact that the end is coming and it's victory. That's what you need to be aware of, too, in the battle. That all the suffering is worth it because of the future grace that is coming to you. Just stand firm. As in verse 10, Peter's honest with us. He says, after you've suffered a little while, you will suffer. If you expect to get out of the battle with no scars, no bruises, no loss of limbs, you're setting yourself up to be discouraged and fail. But if you know that you will suffer, but it's only a little while compared to eternal glory. It's it's after you've suffered. There's, there's the before, the right now is suffering. But after that, look at what he says in verse 10. After that, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's saying, hold on, because right now it's hard, but what's to come is awesome. And God's going to bring it about. It's not you that's going to bring it about. It's not your strength that's going to help you be established and strong. No, it's God who's going to do it. And I love that verse 11 says, To him be the dominion forever and ever. He's got dominion. That's power. That's authority. All of it. Forever. And then I love what verse 10 says. He's the God of all grace. See, if God had all the power and dominion and authority but no grace, we're in trouble. I don't know how, if he's going to use his power for my good. But if God has all the grace for me, but not all the dominion, I don't know if he can win. But if he has all the power and all the grace, then I know that he's working for my good and he will bring it about. No doubt about it. That's a spot to stick your roots deep in. Because I can't stand on my own. And you can't stand on your own. And you can't stand, we can't stand in our own strength. We stand because the foundation we're on is strong. It's the God of all grace and the God of all power and dominion. The grace that causes us to be born again to a living hope. The grace that welcomed us in to be a people who are not a people. The grace that is with us in the midst of suffering and the grace that calls us home. That's all the grace from beginning to end. All grace God has for us. But notice verse 10. He calls you to his eternal glory in Christ. It's 
in Christ. It's only in Christ that this promise holds true. Only if you're in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, because if you want to be in glory, you have to be perfectly glorious. No sin, no imperfections allowed in glory. The only person who deserves that is Jesus. But do you know what he did? He left glory and humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross so he could save people who are made of dust and who are destined because of our sin to return to dust and instead with his resurrection raise us to glory. In fact, Scripture often says if you are in Christ, you are already seated with him in the heavenly places in glory. We're still not experiencing all of it now, but it's to come because of Christ. See, if eternal glory is the best party ever thrown, there are security guards there, you need a VIP pass to get in, but the son of the guy throwing the party comes and says, if you come with me, you're in. You're in. And that's why we need to be in Christ. And if we're in Christ, we have confidence that God will restore us because we're following the footsteps of Jesus. He tasted suffering and was exalted. And if we follow his footsteps, we'll taste the same. So this morning, if you're feeling beaten up, broken down, weak, he promises in verse 10 to restore and strengthen you. If you feel discouraged and lost and homeless, he promises to confirm and establish you. That's, that's grace that I can sink my roots into to stand firm. So this morning, if you want to stand firm today and tomorrow, you don't know when the winds come hardest, if you're going to stand firm, first of all, you just need to be alert to the battle. If you're not alert, if you're not sober-minded, if you're not watchful, you're never going to be able to stand. And maybe that's where some of you need to start this morning, is by asking God to help you be alert, to be prayerful. And maybe even some of you don't even know which side of the battle you're on. You're still trying to figure that out. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to talk to someone around you or talk to me. We'd love to talk with you about that so you can know that you're in Christ. So you'll make it to eternal glory. But then if you've been alert to the battle, if you're asking God for help with that, make sure that you're in community as you fight this battle. And make sure you don't take your eyes off the fact that there is a king who is coming back who assures victory. Just hold on for a little while. Just a little while. And then he'll come with victory to establish and strengthen and confirm and bring us home. So stand firm. And maybe just a word of encouragement, especially for some of you this morning that are feeling not very strong. The same Jesus that said to Peter, I'm, I'm praying for you, Peter. In John 17, before he goes to the cross, he prays and he says, this isn't just a prayer for you disciples here. I'm praying for everyone who will one day believe in me. And he prays for protection for us from the enemy. The same Jesus is still praying for you interceding for you. And he can pray for you, even if you fall flat on your face, that then you could be restored so you could go on to strengthen. That's the God of grace. 
So, stand firm. Stand firm in the battle for God's glory and your good. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to call you our Father. That even though we're born rebels, that because of Jesus we were adopted into a family. So we love you. And so we pray that you would be honored and glorified and worshipped all over this world. We pray that you would send back King Jesus soon to make everything right. To bring us to eternal glory where we are with you face to face in a perfect world where there's no more sickness or sadness or enemies or death. And in the meantime, would you help us to live for you, to live out your will on earth even as it is in heaven. And would you give us today and every day what we need to sustain us, to stand firm for you. Protect us from wandering away. Protect us from falling short. Protect us from the enemy who seeks to devour and destroy And thank you that we have confidence that you are the one with all the power, with all the glory, today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen.